All right, good morning and welcome in, everybody, to a midweek edition here of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. And that would be me. I'm honored to have you listen to the program today. I serve as Director of Church and Community Engagement and Public Affairs for North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. Also serve as the Director of the Office of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And I'm currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. Come on, join us. If you don't have a church home, don't leave your church. But if you don't have a church home, come see us. Sunday morning, 1030, I'll be there preaching the Word of God. I promise God's Word will bless you. I may not bless you, but God's Word will bless you. Okay, um, yesterday I was in Columbia uh, all day. I didn't get home last night until about 9. Uh, actually, it was about 9.30, I think. Um, and the reason being, there was a legislative reception last night uh, sponsored by the GOP after uh, everything closed down yesterday at the State House. So I stayed for that. Uh, I was honored to be invited to come go to that. So I, I hung out there and talked to a bunch of lawmakers for a while, um, all those conversations are uh, usually off the record. I mean, you don't, I don't go to a reception and then come in. Guess what? You know, that's just not the way that works. But uh, at least for me. But anyway, um, there is some news coming out yesterday. The judicial committee uh, in the Senate yesterday, full committee, voted to send over to the floor of the, of the Senate a couple of important bills that will – well, they actually voted to send several bills over, but the two that I think probably warranted the most attention yesterday were fentanyl. Um, and it has to do – both bills have to do with the increasing of penalties for people who d- bring and distribute fentanyl into the into the state. One of them is for individuals. The other is primarily focused on um, – any group or any trafficker of fentanyl, and it really ups the ante, uh, puts mandatory sentences into place, and uh, just important stuff in South Carolina's battle against fentanyl. I mean, fentanyl is deadly. It's a poison. It's a. Uh, it's not a drug. I mean, it it'll kill you if you get it in your system, and so stopping it and going after the bad guys who put it out there. Is very important, so I applaud. Um, I, I think both of the votes yesterday, while well, I was there, so they were both unanimous to send those bills over to the House, and that was, I mean, over. Excuse me, to the uh, Senate floor. I'm so accustomed to being in the House as opposed to the Senate, but that, uh, as far as committees are concerned, but these will go to the Senate floor if they pass. I don't think they'll have any trouble passing in the House. Uh, this is one thing that they should be able to make pretty short work of this legislative session. However, it's not going to be short work when it comes to the issue of abortion. Um, I've got a request into Attorney General Alan Wilson. He has requested that the South Carolina Supreme Court review its decision and reconsider in overturning the heartbeat bill. I imagine they'll make that ruling pretty quickly because one thing that could happen is if they if they mess around and don't issue a statement, it looks like uh, Gary Hill, Ju- uh, Judge Gary Hill, is going to be on the Supreme Court in South Carolina by sometime next week. And so if that happens, 
uh, then, you know, and, and the decision to reconsider has not been reconsidered, then it will be Supreme Court Justice Hill, who is at least by everybody's account that I've talked to. Well, there are a few who disagree, but most are telling me that um, Judge Hill is going to be a constructionist. Uh, he's going to be a, a, a somebody who's going to read the Constitution for what it says and not be an activist. So uh, this could be the first test. But I, I predict, I don't think Kay Hearn, who wrote the decision, and she's the justice that's retiring, I think she'll push her colleagues, and the and the court will affirm its decision before Judge Hill has an opportunity to be the one who weighs in on the reconsideration. But having said that, then there's a couple of other things afoot. Um, we have the in the House we have a bill by John McCravey. We've been talking about that three four four seven that was recommended by the subcommittee to the full Judiciary Committee. They had a scheduling conflict this week, and so the full Judiciary Committee was not able to meet or did not take it up on Tuesday. They will take it up, I'm being told, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, is when the full committee will vote on that bill, whether or not to send it to the floor of the House. Um, This is a bill that is likely to pass the House, but it is not expected to do well in the Senate because, again, even though the bill... Uh, incorporates amendments that the Senate insisted on after this marathon that we had this summer and in, into the fall. Um, that um, yeah, you know, it's got some of the, those a lot of those amendments. It still protects life beginning at conception, and there's still enough Republican senators in the South Carolina Senate that don't want to put the abortion law back that far. They they don't want to ban abortion beginning with conception that it's it's unlikely or it's going to be a difficult pass, path through the Senate. So the Senate is going to, I'm told, is going to introduce legislation that will um, be essentially a rewritten, the, maybe the third or fourth, I, I've lost track, rewrite of the heartbeat bill. And it would be rewritten in such a way as to address some of Justice Few's comments that he made and his, he agreed to, that the heartbeat bill was to be overturned, but um, and, and he also um, put some stipulations in there, some language in there that the Senate is working on to work into and some other language to work out of a revised heartbeat bill that they're hopeful that they can pass in the Senate. Looks like there's a couple of people who were dead set against the last heartbeat bill compromise might be willing to vote for this one, and that would mean it would pass the Senate. Now the question is, can it get through the House? Because we're we're essentially back to where we were this summer because the Senate is at heartbeat six weeks, the House is at conception, and somebody's going to have to decide to go one way or the other or we're going to be back with a conference committee that can't re- resolve this issue. Now, maybe future conference committee, just because the last conference committee failed on these same two issues, doesn't mean that a future conference committee would fail. For one thing, there would probably be uh, different conferees assigned. Uh, but we, we don't know that. So 
that's where things stand as far as the pro-life. Now, there's some other pro-life bills um, that are um, out there that have not been brought up yet or put on the calendar. These appear to be the two best vehicles that we have currently to possibly get restrictions placed on abortion. Now, if the six-week bill were to pass in the Senate and somehow pass in the House, and this is the same, the same is true for McCravey's bill, 3447, if, um, if, if those, either one of those pass both chambers and are signed by the governor, then it would, they would immediately, immediately be enjoined by the circuit court and would go to the South Carolina Supreme Court. And then it would become a test case for freshly minted uh, you know, Supreme Court Justice Gary Hill. So we'll just have to see. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make a prediction at this point. Uh, the South Carolina Baptist Convention has made it clear through their resolutions, particularly one that was passed last year, 2022, that they believe that as a group, we believe life begins at conception. And while we recognize that the efforts of those who have worked in the past at incrementalism, and we appreciate it in that resolution, their work, the South Carolina Baptist Convention resolution asks lawmakers to protect life beginning at conception. So that's the position of South Carolina Baptist as revealed through their resolution. That may not be politically possible at the moment. I mean, you have, you, you know, we in a constitutional republic, you have what is right, and you would like to see what is right pass. But if everybody doesn't agree what is right, then you have to get as close to what is right as you can if you're going to pass anything. Right now, we have abortions in South Carolina up to, if it's we're debating, I mean, I, I hear 22 weeks and I hear 20 weeks. I think it's actually 20 weeks. Um, but still, that's all the way through the first trimester. So you have abortions taking place in South Carolina all the way up through the first trimester. So what, what are we going to do? Are we going to say, well, we can't get a bill through that protects life beginning at conception, so we're not, we're not going to pass a bill that would protect life at six weeks. I mean, you drop back from 20 weeks to six weeks, that's 14 weeks. That's a long time. That's protecting against the majority of abortions in South Carolina if we get to six weeks. I'm just, I'm just laying this out for you. Do I want a bill to pass that says life begins at conception and we should protect all life beginning at conception? Yes, that's what I want. Uh, can I see that? Can I have it in the current political makeup of the South Carolina Senate and the House? After this summer, I'm convinced that we do not have the political will in South Carolina to pass a bill that bans abortion beginning at conception. And we do not have enough pressure brought against these senators to make them change their mind. Um, it's, it's just not happening. Now, doesn't mean it won't happen, can't happen, but I'm just telling you at the moment, it's not happening. In fact, the opposite is happening. A lot of these senators are hearing from uh, one made the comment that 60% of the women in, the, in this particular district want to have 
you know, don't want life protected beginning of conception. And so that's why, or at least part of the reason, why some of these senators are refusing to budge. So, you know, we, we have to do what we can do. We, we need to be engaged in the process. We need to educate people through the church and everywhere we can that life begins at conception and then motivate them to let that viewpoint be known to their elected officials in a respectful manner. But in mass, it would take a lot of pressure from the electorate to get the Senate to get in a position where they would pass a bill that would ban abortion beginning at conception. We're a long way from that in the Senate. Uh, we, I'm not saying we couldn't get there. Um, and we may be a long way in the House from a six-week abortion ban. That's what happened this summer. It could happen again. But they're going to try to work out some type of compromise, I hope. My son called me uh, from California last night, and uh, we had a, a good long conversation. I was on the way home from Columbia when he called. He usually calls me. If he calls me, it's when he's going home from work. So for him, that's around 536, and for me, that's around 830 or 9, so it works out pretty well. Um, but anyway, uh, what he wanted to talk about was the Murdoch trial. He's in California. He wants to talk, he wants to talk about the Murdoch trial. And I told him, I said, look, I, I can't help you because I don't, I don't even know. I couldn't tell you thing one about the Murdoch story, who he is, who his family is, you know, where they're from. I, I think I, I do know that I think they're in Walterboro is where the trial's taking place just because I've seen that in a headline somewhere. But I just haven't followed the story. I mean, there are whole podcasts doing nothing but following the story. Story Newscast in South Carolina are taking up to 10 minutes of their newscast time talking to attorneys, getting a play-by-play and analysis of the trial, of, of, of what happened in, in day one. Um, I do know there's, a, there's some kind of dispute over um, what was said on a tape because they've got the, the, the prosecution believes they've got a confession on tape where Murdaugh in an initial interview with SLED was saying, was saying um, one thing, indicating that he had um, caused the death what is it of his son? Is that do you, do you have more knowledge about this than I do? I, I or anyway that he's responsible for yeah. The, there's people the dying death. right and left and, and yeah, eventually right. it does right. get to I, I think his son funny, and his wife. Yeah, right. His wife. I know his wife mm-hmm. was because there was some. Right. There's a report out today about Shotgun her cell phone that she was apparently in possession of her cell phone hmm. um, when right at the time she died, which is. In I don't, the driveway I don't, of their home. I don't know why that's significant, but somehow that's that's you know playing in. Gotta a listen case. to the podcast. Look, I'm telling you, I, kn- I the the fact that I'm even speaking the name is dangerous because I don't know anything about it. I just heard this is what Adam was telling me yesterday. Now, one thing that he did tell me yesterday that I was fascinated by and kind of made me made me want to go listen to some of this stuff is that 
you've got Dick Harputlian, of course, defending Murdoch. And then they brought back a prosecutor that had been in a high-profile case against Harputlian before. Some of you may remember back in 2007, there was a case where a, uh, a, a lawyer, and, and I could go back and look up the names, but essentially what happened, his wife went somewhere on a trip. He ended up in a strip club, and the strip club did not uh, uh, do what he wanted them to do, one of the ladies in the strip club. And so he got mad, went out, and actually he got bounced. They, they threw him out because of his, his behavior. So he gets in his car, gets a gun, and shoots into the, to the bar, to the strip club. And the bullet goes through the door and kills the bouncer. And then a little bit later, he's at home. You know, he's just he just goes home like another day at the office. And the police are pounding on his door. He thinks somebody's trying to rob him, so he calls 911. And they basically tell him, no, they're there to get you because, you know, we're pretty sure this is what happened. So he gets arrested. Well, the prosecutor is name is Metters. And it turns out Metters is uh, like a very a very good prosecutor, very very Matlock like in the way that he asked the questions and you know kind of even though Matlock was the defense attorney. So um, so there's big Titanic battle between Harputlian and Metters, and they really go at it. And Metters won that case. That guy, I think the jury was out for a couple of hours. Guy went to jail. So Metters. They've called him back in now to go up against Harputlian again because they've, you know, uh, Metters had gone against him before. And, of course, Harputlian uh, just knows how to get under people's skin. I mean, whether you like him or not, I mean, he's Democrat senator, um, but he's also uh, a very good attorney when it comes to uh, as a defense attorney. I mean, he just he just knows how to, to do that. So that's a big part of this story for Adam because he covered that story in 2007, and he was in the courtroom every day, and he saw the interactions between Metters and Harputlian. So he's fascinated that Metters is back, you know, in, involved in this case, and you've got these two going at it again. Um, so that, I mean, that was kind of enough to pique my interest. But let me explain something to you, and then we'll go on and come back and talk about stuff that's in the news, um, which is what we're supposed to be doing here. The reason I haven't talked about it is because, you know, either he is guilty or he's not. Uh, he'll be found guilty or innocent, and it will not alter the course of life for any South Carolinian other than him, his family, and perhaps the victim's family. You know, I mean, that's that's it. And so what we do here, I feel like, has a lot longer consequences. I mean, we're talking about stories that can affect everybody's life in South Carolina. We're talking about stories that can affect the lives of future unborn South Carolinians. We're talking about stories that affect what happens with fentanyl and whether or not we're going to get serious about trying to keep it out of South Carolina. We're talking about national stories, about religious liberty, about uh, you know, the, the big stories in our culture that are taking place today that I feel like you need to know about. And that's kind of, that's where my passions are as a talk show host. 
And, and you know, Denise was telling me last night, well, how can you not be curious about this as much law and order as you watch? And I'm like, well, I'm fascinated by it, but it's not, it, it doesn't really have a long-term effect. I, I kind of focus on the things that have the biggest of impact on the most people from a cultural standpoint. And whereas that might be something that's interesting, um, I, I have to really be interested in it to want to talk about it much. So anyway, there's my I, – I really should poll the audience, I guess, and, and just ask the question, how many of you think I ought to be talking about Murdoch? And, and, and I, I think I know the answer because if you want to know about the Murdoch case, you can't escape it. This might be the one place except for this segment. That this might be the one place that you can escape the Murdoch case. So we'll, we'll, we'll wear that as the Murdoch escape hatch. If you want to uh, come to a place where you, you don't have to hear the finer details, after this segment, I'm going back to just regular old talk radio that I do. Okay, we're hearing that uh, I think February 15th is going to be the big date for former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. Uh, she's set to announce her 2024 presidential bid. She's going to make the launch of her campaign to clear the road for Donald Trump to become the Republican nominee on February 15th. Now, some of you may take issue with the way that I'm describing her decision to run for president. All I'm doing is pointing to reality. And I mean no disrespect by that. I respect Nikki Haley. I, I in fact, she took uh, this appointment to uh, the United Nations by uh, as the ambassador to the United Nations by President Trump, and she did a very good job representing the United States, standing up, defending Israel, defend at the at the UN, defending the United States interest. And she made a name for herself in doing that. Uh, she delivered an amazing speech at the Republican convention in 20, let's see, what would that have been, 2019 going into 2020 to the election? Anyway, no, it would have been in 2020 um, leading up to the election. And she was just, her speech was, was very, very good. And she has, she has really impressed a lot of Americans. And I think rightly so, because she seems to have the gifts necessary to run for political office and be successful. Obviously she did that in South Carolina, winning the governor's race, coming out of literally coming out of nowhere. Some of you may not remember all that, but she was down toward the bottom of the stack when it came to polling. And then Sarah Palin came to town and Governor Sanford decided to transfer his campaign cash that was left over, over to her campaign. And all of a sudden she had money and she had notoriety and she shot to the front of the pack and she never looked back. She got elected governor. She won the nomination and became governor. And of course, when um, Donald Trump became president, he appointed her ambassador to the U.N. because he owed a political debt to Henry McMaster. And that's not to say that Henry McMaster would not have been able to win outright the governor's chair uh, without Donald Trump. I, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just telling you the way that it happened. McMaster was 
lieutenant governor because Nikki Haley vacated the, the governor's chair for the U.N. gig. Then McMaster becomes governor. He f- serves out her term. He wins election outright, which, as I said, indicates that he could have done that on his own. It just accelerated that a little bit. And then he wins re-election in a landslide um, in South Carolina. So, you know, but back to Haley running for president, I don't think she can get the nomination this time. Uh, I think she's good. We had a lot of good candidates in 2016, remember? Had a bunch of them. I think we got up to, what, wasn't it one point we had 21, 20, 19, something? I mean, it was a yeah. ton of people were running. And, in fact, so many that they had to kind of put them in tiers, you know. You had your top tier, and then you had kind of mid-levelers, and then you had the ones that got in and, you know, me too. You kind of had a Republican me too movement running for president. So, yeah, you know, if that happens again, uh, Donald Trump will probably win the nomination. And so Nick, former Governor Haley's going to be one of the first ones to hop in, take votes away from people who probably would vote for DeSantis. I mean, obviously she's going to run. People that want Trump to be president are not going to vote for her. And so the people who vote for her are people that would vote for somebody else against Trump if, if they were running. So you get a straight-up primary with Ron DeSantis running against pre, uh, pre, you know former President Trump. You may have a, a titanic battle, as I've said before, that goes all the way to the convention. Uh, you get six or eight others in the race, and you divide up the not-Trump vote, and Trump wins— Again, because he keeps his 30 to 34 percent base solid. And, uh, you know, as more candidates get in, that's why I described her announcement as being the, the very first one to get into the race to open the path for Trump to win the nomination. Um, I, I, I don't even know. You know, I, I, I've, I've been in some conversations with people just asking them, generally, do you think— the people that are getting in, like Mike Pompeo, likely, uh, Nikki Haley, obviously, it's, it's, that's coming. We know that's coming February 15th. Um, pe- people like that, people like Christy Nome, um, Mike Pence, um, maybe some others, uh, Tim Scott, do, do they believe that they're going to win the nomination? I mean, I'm sure they, if you ask them, they would tell you that, of course. I mean, you don't. You don't start spending that kind of money, raising that kind of money, asking for that kind of money, and and say, well, I really don't expect to win. I'm just trying to raise my profile. But really, I mean, I just don't see that. Now, let me open up a little bit of space here. Anything can happen. I mean, President Trump could be indicted down in Georgia. Georgia prosecutor sounds like they're making noise, like they're going to indict him for interfering in the Georgia um, election in 2020. You've got a renewed push by the prosecutor in New York who's trying to bring up the Stormy Daniels issue again. I mean, they're going to go after him and, and bring that back up. And, of course, 
you've got a federal investigation going on uh, uh, for President Trump on these classified documents that's also going on with President Biden and former Vi uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, so, you know, anything can happen. Trump could fall. I mean, the weight of all these legal troubles could derail him. It's not likely. I mean, if you look at his track record, uh, he's gotten he, he's been able to avoid all of this in the past. And the reason is he really hasn't done anything. I mean, it, nothing that def definitively could be he broke the law at this point. They went after Trump, his corporation, fined them actually what amounted to not much in the history of corporate fines, um, but sent his one of his financiers to jail, one of the guys that was working for him, and he's not rolling on Trump. Now, maybe he sits in jail for a while and you know decides to come out and start saying things about Trump that could get him in trouble or get him indicted. I doubt it, mainly because there's probably nothing to say. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm giving space here. I can see how somebody like Nikki Haley, and again, no disrespect to her whatsoever, I could see how she would get in the race thinking, well, if Trump stumbles, now we've got a free-for-all and anybody could rise to the top. That's plausible. But as long as Trump is not damaged beyond repair, um, I think he runs with his base and gets the nomination. Um, I, I don't particularly want that. I, I think we've been there. I think Trump will have trouble uh, on the national level. He won a—people just don't refuse to admit he won a very close election. Now, it was amazing that he came out of nowhere, essentially. I mean, not nowhere. I mean, he was a well-known figure, but I'm talking about politically— um, and he runs for office for the first time, and he wins the presidency of the United States. That's no small accomplishment, okay? It's amazing. But he won against a very unpopular candidate who took her victory for granted and, you know, a few votes in Wisconsin, a few votes in Michigan, a few votes over here and there, and she ends up losing and Trump becomes president. Now, since then, he's lost the White House. I know. I, I, I know. It was election was stolen. I get it. I hear you out there. I, these are my magic headphones I have on this morning. When you yell at the radio, I can actually hear you in, in the background. Uh, I get it. But he's not president, okay? He, for whatever reason, he, he's, he's not president. He lost seats in his midterm pretty devastatingly. Um, this was supposed to be this latest midterm was supposed to be a big election for Republicans. It wasn't a lot of the big high profile candidates that Trump backed where his backing could have made the difference. They lost. Now, that's just I, I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm telling you what happened. And so if you know now if you get a B Trump Biden redo which a lot of people are clamoring for, Trump gets the Republican nomination, Biden is still able to string some sentences together, although the, the likelihood of that is diminished every day. 
I mean, he's he's just saying things now. I mean, he's just telling stories that have been totally debunked. He told the Amtrak story again the other day. And I mean, after all these reporters and everybody went back, even his supporters went back and said, would you, would you stop? That's not true. Never happened. Told the story again. He didn't care. He lied yesterday about the Catholic bishops and the Pope and their position on abortion. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to know if he's lying or if he just doesn't remember. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just telling you, um, you you're doing, he's doing all these things. Could Trump beat him? Is, are we back in a situation where Biden will be so unpopular? He's very unpopular now. But he'd be so unpopular, Trump can come along, and it doesn't matter whether the suburbs go his way or all of the independents follow him. Uh, he could still beat him. So it's an interesting situation that we're going to be in. A straight-up DeSantis-Trump primary, I'm in. I, I, I think that would be a good thing to happen. But that's not what we're going to get. We know on February 15th now we're going to get Nikki Haley. We're likely going to have Tim Scott. Tim Scott, look, I, I think he would be a fantastic president. I would like to see him as president. I, I don't think he is going to be able to win this time. Maybe he's setting something up for the future. I, I don't know. And he's not announced that he's going to run, but he did go to Iowa this week. Most people, I mean, you don't go to Iowa for vacation you don't go to sightsee. You don't go, you know, particularly if you're a high profile senator, uh, you go to Iowa to find out, kind of test the water, see what it looks like. Would you have a chance of winning early and maybe pick up momentum? Because everybody's still, you got to win early, you got to pick up momentum. And for the most part, that's still true. But it's only true if you have a typical election cycle. There was nothing typical about 2016. Number of candidates dividing up the vote, and Trump ran up the middle and got the nomination relatively easily. Uh, so we'll see if that happens again. Okay, it looks like uh, Attorney General Alan Wilson is going to join us on Friday. We don't have a time locked down yet, but uh, he's actually in Walterboro <laughs> at the Murdoch trial. Uh today and tomorrow i mean i should have known uh but anyway it looks like friday will be the date i i ended the show yesterday talking about jack phillips and um i want to return to that i told you i was going to go back and sort of break down some of what's going on with him what his latest uh litigation looks like and he's been in court now for over 12 years um uh, he's and I had a chance to meet him at the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte. I guess it was a year and a half ago now. Uh, got him to sign a copy of the of the book that he's written about his ordeal, which he could write another book now. I mean, it just continues. But he is he's one of the most humble, gracious people I've ever been around. I mean, I got, he he was very kind to talk to me for a little while. Um, you know, and just, he's the kind of guy that I thought he was. He's not flashy at all, flamboyant. He's just a guy who has 
a, a very unique and, and well-developed talent to create birthday cakes, and he runs the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, and all he wants to do is honor God and serve him with the talent that God has given him. And for that, he's being persecuted by the government. And that's what this is. It's government-sponsored persecution of a Christian who's just trying to live his life in some type of normal way. So in 2012, just to give you a quick background, you probably remember all this, um, Phillips, who's a Christian, declined to provide a custom-designed cake celebrating a same-sex wedding. This is coming from National Review. His reasoning, that he still hewed to the basic view of marriage, professed by most of humanity for most of civilization's history, was reflected by Colorado law at the time, which still prohibited same-sex marriage. The gay couple soliciting Phillips' services, David Mullins and Charlie Craig, planned to lawfully marry in Massachusetts, but they were unimpressed by Phillips' religious objections. Our story is, a, is about us being turned away and discriminated against by a public business. That's what Mullins at the time told the New York Times. Well, that wasn't true. According to a court filing, Phillips informed Craig and Mullins that he would be happy to make and sell them any other baked goods. Nonetheless, Craig and Mullins filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which resulted in a lawsuit, which resulted in a series of successive court rulings ordering Phillips to simmer down and bake the cake. In the course of that time, Phillips opted to stop making custom wedding cakes altogether, which he claims cut his business by 40%. Eventually, in 2018, the Supreme Court sided with Phillips, but only on narrow proceduralist grounds. Rather than defending the plain meaning of the First Amendment's religious liberty protections, the 7-2 ruling sided with Phillips only on the basis that the members of the commission had expressed anti-Christian sentiments during the process of adjudicating the case. Now, we talked about this when it happened. It was a, it was a win for religious liberty. It was a big win, 7-2. But the, the text of the ruling matters. The foundation of the ruling matters, and the foundation was that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission demonstrated animus toward religion, which they cannot do, according to the Supreme Court. And this is before, you, you have to realize, 2018. So this was a Supreme Court that was not the conservative Supreme Court that we have now. It was a very tentative 5-4 Supreme Court, maybe, depending on, you know, which side of the bed Kennedy got up on. So, you know, I it, it, for this to be 7-2, we talked about the significance of that. But because they didn't say, oh, it's all based on the First Amendment, instead of saying, oh, it's all based on animus that, the co that this commission demonstrated against um, uh, Phillips, it, it didn't give him any protection. In fact, the day of the ruling, in comes an activist, and that's, that's who the, the person was that filed the second lawsuit. Let me get back to the story. Future controversies arrived in short order. Phillips' public expression of his faith had placed a target on his back, and the narrow Supreme Court ruling in his favor had the two-pronged effect of 
further inflaming activists while simultaneously depriving the baker of a decisive precedent-setting protection against their agitations. In 2017, the very day the Supreme Court agreed to hear Phillips' case, I said it was the day it was decided, it was the day they agreed to hear it, Autumn Scardina, a transgender activist in, De- in Denver, called Masterpiece Cake Shop and requested a custom cake with a blue ex- exterior and pink interior to symbolize a gender transition, Harsani, uh, David Harsani wrote. Sardinia was allegedly a member of the Church of Satan, and court documents allege the activist had also sought Philip's services for charming depictions, and I can't even tell you what kind of cake, other type cake, that was requested because it's vulgar, and we're not, I'm not going to put vulgar language out over the radio. Phillips, of course, politely declined all these requests. Scardina, of course, proceeded to file a complaint with the aforementioned Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The commission, of course, ruled against Phillips in August 2018, two months after his initial masterpiece cake shop victory. Phillips was back in court. And, of course, the courts ruled against him. Now, it's interesting that the commission upheld the right of bakers to refuse to make a Bible-shaped cake inscribed with the message, Homosexual is a det- uh, excuse me, homosexuality is a detestable sin, Leviticus 18.2. So th- somebody went in to a- another baker and said, I want you to make me a, a Bible cake. And I want you to put this scripture reference on it, the fact that homosexuality is a sin. And the Colorado Civil Rights Commission said, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You can't be forced to express that opinion. But, of course, we can force everybody to bow at the altar of LGBTQ plus and their agenda. This is a clear violation of Philip's rights. I mean, the same commission says you don't have to bake this cake, but you got to bake that cake, even if it's based on your religious convictions. Phillips is going to win this. I mean, he's but he's he's having to defend himself. He's being persecuted as a Christian. And he's going to this thing is going to end up either with the Supreme Court deciding on another religious liberty case that's similar and actually establishing the precedent necessary to get a ruling in Phillips' favor before it gets to the Supreme Court, or he'll go back to the Supreme Court, and this time he'll win. But you know what? I doubt that'll stop the persecution. They have to destroy him. He beat them. And he refuses to back down. And he's quiet and humble and gentle. And that drives them right out of their tree, the people that want to take him down. So they're going to keep it up. We need to pray for Jack Phillips. And I would challenge you to do what I've done. You can go online and download plenty of images. Just get a, get a picture of him working on one of his cakes. Print it. Get it framed and put it somewhere where you'll see it every day to remind you that there are 7,000 at least who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Just like God said to Elijah, we would say there's at least one, but I'm sure there are more. We need to be reminded 
of the courage of believers to stand up in our day against the persecution of the state because of their Christianity.